0: You know, having a vision is a good thing, and when you think about vision, a a vision should be more than seeing something that could be done. A true vision is something that we see that must be done. You know, as we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, the vision was clear. The walls of Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. God had given this vision to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah knew that the vision needed to be carried out. The walls around Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt, in part because it meant security for the people of Jerusalem, but more importantly, a rebuilt Jerusalem was symbolic of the rebuilding of the people. As we have said, the fact that Jerusalem was destroyed represented the fact that the people's relationship with God was broken. The people had been sent into exile by God because of their rebellion against Him, and for the people to know that this relationship was restored, it required a rebuilt Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And not only would Jerusalem being rebuilt be encouraging to the people, it would also be a witness to the world of God's power. It would be a statement that God is strong and that God can restore his people and that God is at work in his chosen ones. The vision to rebuild was important. It was more than just a good thing. It was a necessary thing. Now, the question that we all have to ask in our lives is this, what vision has God given to you? Has God given you a vision in your life? I hope you've thought about that over the last few weeks. In fact, I hope that you already are pursuing a God-given vision for your life. But if not, I pray soon you'll be part of a God-given vision. You know, last week, Jonas and I spent some time with our church family that is a part of our South Wilson campus. We spent some time talking about God's vision for that campus, a vision that God sent into motion several years ago that I believe God is going to see to completion and do great things with. I was reminded in speaking with several of the people there how some have really understood that vision and they're seeking to help that vision come to completion because they've understood the vision, they've continued to pursue it even during difficult times. But every one of us should have a vision that we are pursuing in life. You know, like last week, Dana spoke a little about the vision of clarity. It began with a vision that God planted in the hearts of some to help save the unborn and to minister to those experiencing crisis pregnancies. And through the years, it's been amazing to watch that vision come to fruition. Vision is important and vision should be a part of our lives. Think for a moment about your life. What vision does God have for you? Think about your personal vision. Has God given you a personal vision for your life? Maybe it's a vision to live debt-free. Or maybe God has given you a vision to start a Bible study in your school or maybe at your workplace. Has God given you the vision to start a business that honors God and allows you to be generous and giving to the work of the Lord? Has God given you a vision to live a godly life that is a witness to the Lord in the midst of the godless environment in which we live? (coughs) Has God given you the vision to have a marriage that is strong and stands out in a world that seems to make marriage disposable? Has God given you a vision to witness to your neighbors and help them come to know God's love? Has God given you a vision to invest in students and help them grow in their knowledge of the Lord? Has God given you a vision to start a ministry to those recovering from addictions or maybe hurting from the pain of divorce? These are just a few examples, but it's God giving you a vision for your life. I hope that you have a vision, but if not, I pray this. I pray that you will seek God's vision and begin to pursue it. Also believe that God will give you a vision in some way that helps further his mission in this world. Now, with Nehemiah, Nehemiah, he clearly received a vision from God and pursued it. Now, last week, as we made it to the end of chapter 3, we saw where the wall began to be rebuilt. Everyone jumped in and began to do their part. I mean, when you get to the end of chapter 3, there's a part of you that's pumped and you're excited because it's wonderful to read about everyone working together each doing his or her part in rebuilding the wall. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, you get finished with chapter three and you say, man, that's the way it ought to be and you're energized. And then you get to chapter four. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Do so now to Nehemiah chapter four. As you do that, I'm gonna take a little drink. My wife made me bring my water with me this week. (coughs) All right. Nehemiah chapter four, we're gonna see this morning something very important to address if we're gonna see God's vision for your life completed. Again, chapter 3 ends on a high note because everyone's working together, things are getting done, there's excitement in the air. And then we read this beginning in chapter 4. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, "What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day?" Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, what we see here is a principle we need to be aware of, which is this. When you pursue a vision, there will be those who seek to discourage you. All right, you hear me? If you begin to seek a vision in your life, there will be those who seek to discourage you. We got a small glimpse of this last week, but if you look closely at what was written here, what we read this morning, when Sanballat heard that the Jews were rebuilding the wall, he wasn't just upset, he was angry, he was greatly enraged. I don't even need a commentary to tell me that this guy was mad. He in no way wanted the wall rebuilt. We mentioned briefly last week that he would have seen the Jews as a threat to his authority, but I want you to see that there's something greater going on here. This discouragement is part of a spiritual battle. Part of his discouraging words were this, will they sacrifice? He, in part, understood that the spiritual significance of what the Jews were doing, and he wanted no part of it. Whether he fully realized he was opposing God or not, I don't know, but surely his actions did oppose God. He didn't want the Jews in a place where they could worship God collectively again as a people. You can be assured that if you attempt to carry out a God-given vision, there will be some spiritual warfare that takes place to seek to keep you from seeing God glorified in your life. Satan is at work even using people to keep God from being glorified in lives. You see, Sam Ballant working to discourage the people sought to discourage on all fronts. He called them feeble Jews questioning their strength. He questioned the resources they were using, mentioning that they were rebuilding with heaps of rubbish, but they were using burnt-out bricks, and so they know they're not gonna survive. To top that off, Tobiah came in to question the quality of their work, saying that what they were building would even be broken down if a fox was to go up on it. And I hope you understand something, right? A fox is not a very large or heavy animal, right? Kind of gentle, right? He said, well, if a fox even jumps up on it, it's gonna come tumbling to the ground. So Sambalat and Tobiah come against the Jews, seeking to truly discourage them in their work, hoping that they would stop in their tracks and fail to do the work, thinking that they were doing what they were doing was impossible to complete correctly. Now, here's the question we have to ask. I mean, if we're going to face the discouragement, how do you handle discouragement when it comes? That's a good question and one I believe that Nehemiah, Nehemiah gives us some direction on answering. First, you do this, all right? You vent to God. All right. You vent to God. Now, Nehemiah's reaction to me is very interesting in verse four and five. Look at his prayer. He said Hear, o Lord, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builder. Now, you know what that is. All right. I hope you understand this prayer. All right. This is not the prayer that makes it into your Sunday morning worship service, all right? Why? Because it is not a prayer where Nehemiah is asking for God to be gracious to Sambalit and Tobiah. When he says, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out, this is Nehemiah telling God to give them what they deserve, all right? Now, if you're a believer today who understands God's grace, you understand this is a very harsh prayer, Amen. It's very harsh. There's not a single person here who truly understands God's grace who would say, I want God to give me what I deserve. See, true believers understand that when compared to a holy God, we are all filthy rags and deserves God's wrath to be poured out on us. <clears throat> Any true believer understands that not one of us deserves heaven, but indeed what we deserve is an eternity in hell. And Nehemiah is praying to God saying, God, give them what they deserve. That's pretty harsh, right? But let me say this, if there's anything we can do, anyone that we can vent to, it is God. In fact, we see other prayers like this in the Bible. We see them in Psalms. One time David, a man after God's own heart, prayed this about his enemies in Psalm 59. He said, because of the simple things they say, because of the evil that is on their lips, let them be captured by their pride, their curses, and their lies. Destroy them in your anger, wipe them out completely, then the whole world will know that God reigns in Israel. See, that's another honest prayer. Now, if you don't already know, let me inform you that God can handle prayers like that, all right? And let me tell you one reason why it's good to go to God in prayer and to vent to him. It can keep you from lashing out inappropriately, either verbally or physically against others. You see, if we are honest, our natural reaction when we face discouragement is to respond with some type of verbal assault against those who come against us or maybe to wanna punch somebody out. Right? Nobody gonna raise your hand and be honest about that, all right? But that's who it is, all right. But, but we know this: none of that is honoring God. But that is why venting to God is a good thing, because here's what can happen if we vent to God: He can change our heart before we act inappropriately. God doesn't want us to stay in our anger, even against those who oppose us. I, I believe we can vent to God, honestly, how we feel, but I also believe He wants us to end up in a different place. He wants us to end up in a place of grace. And I know that because Jesus gives us a different example. Here's the example that we are told to follow in 1 Peter 2. He said, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you examples so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now look at this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, no doubt as Jesus was fulfilling the vision that the Father had for his life, he was mocked. He was harassed. He suffered all kinds of actions that, that sought to discourage him but he did not respond in anger. He didn't threaten those who came against him, but he completed the Father's will and entrusted those who came against him to the God who is a just God. And I can assure you something, folks. The best course of action for you is the same. (coughs) God can handle your enemies, right? So press on and do his will and let God take care of those who seek to discourage you. In fact, really, that's what Nehemiah did. He gave the fate of those to discouraging him to God. He didn't engage them. Read. He never engaged them. He went to God and then he moved on, which leads us to the next thing that Nehemiah did that shows us how to respond to discouragement. You stay the course. In fact, look at verse six. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. You see, what a great example to us and a reminder that in the face of discouragement, you should stay the course. Ignore those who are coming against you and continue to do the God-given vision that that he has for your life. I mean, let me ask you this, this question. Why would you stop doing what God has shown you to do? Why would you stop doing what God has shown you to do? There's no good reason, right? Here's the only reason I know that I would stop doing what God has shown me to do if God shows me something else to do. When God shows me something else to do, then I stop and do the next thing. But until then, you know what you do? You press on. You keep doing. The, uh, uh, again, if, if he doesn't, again, show you something else, what you do is you keep doing the last thing that he has shown you to do, even if people are trying to discourage you. You know, too often people stop doing what God wants them to do simply because someone discouraged them. Someone told them, man, there's no way you can ever live that free, so you stop trying. Someone said, you're you're, you're trying the impossible, and so you quit. Someone said, you just don't have the resources or what it takes, and so you stop. But why? If God has given you a vision, you keep doing it, even if someone discourages you. And I'm going to give you a promise, all right? Even if things get tough, God will never let it get so tough that you cannot complete what he has asked you to do, all right? Think about what the apostle Paul said when he looked at his life of pursuing God's will. He said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you get what he's saying? Pursuing God's will can be tough, but it is not so tough that you cannot endure when you are doing what God wants you to do. As I say that, though, I need to give you the next aspect of responding to discouragement. Are you ready for this one? Be ready for more discouragement. That's a good point, right? Nehemiah hears the discouragement. Nehemiah and the people stay the course and build the wall, and what happens? Look at the next verse, verses seven and eight. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Astadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. See, what happens is things get worse, all right? Go, 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 go and tell your friends, the preacher told me today things are just going to get worse, right? Not only is Bal and Tobias saying bad things, but now they're joining forces with others to plot and fight against Nehemiah and the Jews. This might, not, might, might seem not only discouraging, but for some who are looking at this from a godly perspective, you might think it's not right that when you're attempting to fulfill a God-given vision that your fate would, you'd face such difficulty. However, let's never forget what Peter told believers in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. In other words, here's what I think we forget sometimes as believers, that this world is not our home. And in a way, we should never be comfortable here. And we have to understand that if we're going to try and live for God, there will always be people and spiritual forces fighting against us to try and keep us from completing the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be unsuccessful in what we do. Actually, I think quite the opposite. However, we just cannot believe that it means things will be easy. Living for God will always be a struggle. And what we have to continue to do is stay connected to God in prayer. In fact, that is what we have seen Nehemiah do time and time again in the last few weeks. He even does it here in response to this increased discouragement. Look at verse nine, he says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. You see, Nehemiah demonstrated again the importance of prayer. And then after he prays, we can read that there's these rumors going around saying people are discouraged that the enemies were planning an imminent attack to the point that the Jews living outside the city were becoming afraid and passing that fear onto those working on the wall. In response, we see Nehemiah show us another aspect of responding to discouragement, which is this. You remember the might and the mission of God. Look at verse 14. He says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You see, right before these words, we see Nehemiah act to put people where they needed to be to respond to the threats that were made. But then he takes a moment to speak to the people. And like any good leader, he took a moment to encourage those people. And In fact, let's ask, what gives people the ability to continue to work toward a vision? What gives them the ability? You ready? Here it is. You ready? Knowing that God is able to see that vision completed. When, When discouragement sets in our lives, it is typically because of this, because we're focused on ourselves and the work before us, right? We look at ourselves and we see all our inabilities and all our shortcomings and we think, How can I do this? At the same time, we get focused on the task before us. many times thinking, man, that that task is just too great. Uh, Honestly, there are many times when both of those things are true. On top of that, we have a tendency to look at those coming against us as too strong and that we should just give up. Folks, the problem with placing your focus on yourself or the task or even the discouragers is that means your focus is not on the one place it should be, it means it's not on God. All right? When we get our eyes off God, when the one thing we should do is see the task before us in light of God. And when we begin to get discouraged, thinking the task that God has given you is too great, I encourage you to remember the might of God. I mean, that's where Nehemiah was pointing to people. He was saying this. He's saying, let's remember the God who's called us to this task and remember the strength that he offers. You see, all Nehemiah had to do was go back to the people and say, listen, remember this. Remember, it was Artaxerxes. He's the one that told me to come and rebuild or gave me the permission to go build." And so God had to work in Artaxerxes' heart just to give them permission to come. And they would say, just knowing what God did in Artaxerxes' heart says that God is awesome and great. If God could make Artaxerxes change his mind and allow Nehemiah to start rebuilding the city, then God can do anything, right? Well, listen, but there's so much more they could point to. Nehemiah could have looked back and said, let's remember the God of our people, the God of the Jewish nation. Let's think about how he delivered us from Egypt and all that happened around that. Remember how he parted the waters? Nehemiah could point them to the many victories that the Jews had experienced as they went into the promised land. The nation was history full of how God had worked. He wanted the people to remember that the God that they were serving was a God who could have the walls of a strong city like Jericho fall just because of a large shout. And if he can do that, he was a God that could see that the walls of Jerusalem could be rebuilt even in the face of opposition. You see, remembering the might of God can give you courage. I know in my life, if I just stopped, and I look back at how God has worked at various times to provide for me, I alone have enough examples of God working in my life to know of his might. However, I think remembering the importance of the mission can help our courage as well. Think about this. I don't, have y'all seen the movie Braveheart? All right. Think about Mel Gibson, right? They're getting ready to go to battle. What's he do? He's, I mean, everybody's kind of, they're a little bit discouraged, right? And he looks at and he says, you know what? They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. He said, let's remember the mission. We're fighting for our freedom. All right, if that doesn't do it, all right, I want you to think about Peter on the Chronicles of Narnia as they're getting ready to go into battle. And he says, for Narnia and for Aslan, right? 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 He's looking at him, saying, let's remember the mission, folks. It's important, and we got to go out and fight. And Nehemiah says, hey, let's remember the might of our God, but let's remember the mission. He's realizing the point that when Nehemiah says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes, he is calling the people to remember the importance of what they are fighting for, that they are fighting for the lives of people they are fighting for what it should mean, all right? Most of them in life, next to God, they're fighting for their brothers, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their homes. Let's never forget something. As we've been looking at Nehemiah, the building here is not so much about the rebuilding of a wall, it is the rebuilding of a people. When we think about the vision that God has given us, the vision that he will give you will ultimately be about people and their lives. You know, I've mentioned that if God gives you a vision about being debt free, let me go ahead and say this. It will not be so much about you not having debt as it will be about you in a position to serve God without a financial burden hanging over you and about you being able to be in a better position to help others. All right. If God gives you a vision about starting a ministry, it's not going to be about you having something to brag about and say, look at the ministry that I have built, as it will be about you having an opportunity to help change lives you see, the thing that should always help us continue moving forward and fulfilling our vision is knowing that God has given us a mission and a mission of helping others. And in case people look at you and say the mission is greater than you can handle, I say great, because that is just how God wants it. Think, think about this. One of the things that the enemies of Nehemiah were saying is that the materials they were using were defective. That they were bricks that had been burned and they were not good for anything. The the people were using bricks that have been too damaged and unuseful. But can I tell you what, folks? God can use whatever he wants to accomplish his task. All right? He can use burnt, broken bricks. And guess what? He can use burnt, broken people. All right? Paul pointed us this reality when he said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, before mentioning the difficulties he faced in ministry and pursuing God's vision, Paul said this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, all right? See, if someone ever tries to discourage you saying, you don't have what it takes, you can look back at them and say, you're right, but God is great and the power belongs to him and the mission is gonna be completed because of God and not because of me, all right? And you press on pursuing the mission that God has for you because it is an important work, because lives are at stake and you're not going to quit because of discouragement, which leads me to the one last thing that Nehemiah shows us about facing discouragement. You revise the plan and lean on each other, all right? Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall each to his work. But briefly, let me just say this, all right? Just note this, that as the people didn't give up As they remembered the might of God and the importance of the mission and they kept going, notice it's the enemies the ones that gets frustrated. Did you notice that? Too often we see our enemies as being stronger than they actually are and if we just keep going, they give up. That's another reason to press on. But most importantly, we need to understand that as we press on, there are times we have to make adjustment not to the vision or to the mission, but to the plan, to how we ultimately are gonna complete that vision. Let's keep reading in verse 16. Verse 16. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bowls, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. All right, now, here's what Nehemiah realized is that as they moved forward, a little revision needed to be made to, to the, 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 what he was doing here, all right? He, he didn't change the vision, but he changed the plan. Because at this moment, he realized the people now have to be ready for battle. I don't know about you. When I read that, I get a little intrigued when I think about the people that are carrying the burden. They're carrying something in this hand and a spear in the other. All right? A little cumbersome, right? But, but he said that's what we have to do, all right? It, it, in this point, it's necessary that we change the process. Before, we didn't need a weapon. But now we see there's enemies. They may be coming out of And with that, what am going to do? I'm just going to change the plan with them, all right? If nothing else, the people needed the security in knowing that they were prepared to an enemy attack. But more important to me than even arming the people was making sure they understood that they were in this together, even if they were, they were, in a way, there was distance between them. That's why Nehemiah told them this in 19 and 20. He said, I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us, all right? It it was clear if something was to happen where everyone was needed to rally together, trumpet would sound and everyone would come together and fight the enemy together. Nehemiah wanted it clear, no one was alone. They were in it together. They truly were to lean on each other as they moved forward. With this confidence, verse 21 simply reads this. So we labored at the work. The people pressed on even in the face of discouragement. Now, as we get ready to close, let me encourage you today to keep on pursuing the vision that God has for your life. Do you know what that vision is? If not, begin to pray. But some of you know the vision that God has for you. Don't let anything discourage you from doing what God has given you a vision to do. I understand the temptation to be discouraged. I mean, I've given in to that discouragement before, and I'm gonna tell you, it's much better not to give in and instead face the discouragement with the strength of the Lord, okay? That's okay, all right? Maybe today, again, as you think about that, maybe today what you need to do is vent to the Lord. You've been going for that vision, something's happening. Man, you're tired, you're mad, you're whatever. Maybe today you need to vent to the Lord. That's okay, all right? He's ready to hear your complaints about those who are discouraging However, just know that God wants to strengthen you to stay the course. Even though more discouragement may come your way, he doesn't want you to even give up. In fact, he truly wants you to remember his might and the mission that he has given you and know that not only is he able to win the battle for you, he wants you to know that your mission is too great to abandon. There are lives that God wants you to help rebuild so you should not give up. And if you have to revise your plan a little bit, that's okay, but make sure you don't go it alone. Lean on others that God has in your path. To help you because it, 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 he, he's not going to have you go it alone. You see, this is a challenge for your life personally. And it's a challenge for us collectively as a church. You know, the vision that God has given us a church has not changed. There's still a world out there that's dying in need the Lord. Amen. Right. We've got to press on in that vision. Even though today we live in a world that's seeking to discourage us. If you haven't noticed, it seems like the world's becoming more and more anti-Christian. Have you noticed that? So there's going to be discouragement all the way around us. And God says, listen, we're not going to give in to that, right? We're going to say, we're going to go to God and we're going to look and say, God, we're going to remember your might. We're going to remember your mission. And God, we may have to change the plan just a little bit, but God, we're going to lean on each other and we're moving forward. Amen. Amen. You see, God has a vision for us. We're, we're getting ready to close in a minute. And i want to ask you today, are you pursuing God's given vision? Where are you at this morning? Are you a little discouraged? Maybe you are. Listen, this altar is going to be open. Why don't you come and seek the Lord's strength? Again, maybe you need to start with that vent. We won't publicize that prayer. If you need a vent to God today, that's okay. Just let God change your heart and say, God, it doesn't really even matter about those who are coming against me. God, what matters is who you are in my life. Lord, what you're doing, I'm going to press on. And I'm going to keep pursuing that vision because you're strong enough to help me carry it out. Won't you seek that this morning because he's ready, all right? He's ready to be there for you to help you carry that mission. So the altar is for you today to come, all right, for to come and, 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 and seek the Lord's strength in carrying out your vision. Now, let me say this before we have an invitation time, though. I want you to keep in mind the greatest vision that God has ever given is the vision he gave to Jesus Christ. That vision where he came to save the world. He came to save you. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. Even again, as I said, all along the way, people tried to discourage him, but he kept pressing on, right, to do the Father's will. There was even times I even think about. I remember him being in the garden. Remember right before he was arrested, and he's there and he's praying. He said, "God, if, if it would take this cup from me, pass it off." I mean, he, he 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 battled discouragement like you and I, right? But what did he ultimately pray? Not my will, but your will be done. And he pressed on and carried that vision to completion where he went to the cross and he died to pay for the sins of you and me and the world. And not only did he die as Luke so greatly told his ago, he rose again because he's our living hope, all right? And he has come to offer life to all who would put their faith and trust in him. And some of you this morning, the vision that God first has for your life is that you would give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I wanna encourage you today, Instead of coming seeking, listen, a vision that God wants you to carry out and the strength to do that, I want you to come and receive God's vision for your life, which is salvation in Jesus. This invitation is always open for that. right. bow your head for just a second. We're getting ready to go again to the invitation time, and there's gonna be a time for you to do whatever you need. Again, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the message, but you just got a burden you want to bring to the altar. You can do that this morning. Or again, maybe you are seeking strength to carry out the vision that God has for you. But again, in this moment, above all, if you're here today and you've never received God's vision for your life of salvation, I want today to be the day when you come and give your life to Jesus. I'll be standing up here. Brother Jacob would be here. We'll be glad to greet you and talk to you about Jesus. But if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want you to even pray just a simple prayer like this that you just might say, Dear, dear God, I know today that, that I'm a sinner. And God, I don't deserve your love, I don't deserve your salvation. But I know that through Jesus Christ you've offered me forgiveness through your grace and so God today I confess my sin to you and I invite you to come and forgive me of that sin and enter my life and take control because God I want to live for you and I want to thank you Lord for offering that and saving my soul if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus you can pray a simple prayer like that it doesn't have to be those exact words but God wants to save you today And maybe if you're praying a prayer like that or you've prayed one recently, you've never let anybody know, you come tell us. We wanna celebrate with you what God has done. But in this moment, we have an invitation. It's for you to do business with God. Our Father, as we come to this time of invitation, we thank you, Lord, again, for who you are. We thank you that you are our living hope. We thank you, Father, that we can put our faith and trust in you and that even, God, as you give us a vision for our life, that, God, we know that that vision doesn't rest upon us, but it rests upon your might and your strength. And so, Father, continue to help us press on to pursue the vision you have for our life. But, Father, I thank you for the greatest vision, that is of salvation. And if there's one here tonight or this morning that's never received that invitation to be forgiven and receive eternal life, I pray in this moment they would come and receive your grace. And, Father, begin in that moment to pursue your vision of sharing with others and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, bless this invitation. I pray it's in your hands.